0: Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 on page 8 or 11, depending on which pew Bible you may have. And while you're turning there, please, let me just say it's a great privilege to be with you. I remember fondly my times here. And if you remember me, great. If you don't, well, I've been here before. It's good to be with you. It's good to see snow in your city. I'm from Orlando. We don't have much snow. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of our God. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we have just read words about your father, our father, Abraham. And these are words that are familiar to many of us, unfamiliar to others. But we know one thing, and that is this. That unless you send Holy Spirit to us, our effort to understand and to live out these words, they're all in vain. And so we pray now that Holy Spirit will come, that he will come in his power and fill each person in this room, bringing conviction, bringing encouragement, bringing hope and life where we have none in ourselves. And as you do that, Lord Jesus, we will bless you and we will give you the praise for it. Amen. I don't know if you knew it or not, but this is the end of the missions week for this church, an annual event in this church. And do you know what that means? You've already been given a little prelude. At the end of the service, you're going to be asked to make a commitment. Hmm. A commitment to this church before God that will involve money, and it will involve your prayer life, and it will involve your participation with your body in the outreach of this church. That's a lot to ask. If you knew that was going to happen, and you came anyway, way to go. If you didn't know, now you do. But in order to prepare ourselves for that event, we're going to look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, because it speaks directly to the kind of people we need to be if we're going to respond as God would have us respond to the challenge, the call that your pastors and your elders are bringing to you today. I think it's a truism that... If one person calls you a bad name, you can ignore it. If two or three people call you that bad name, maybe you should think about it a little bit. But if everybody in the world calls you that bad name, it's probably true. So what do they call Presbyterians out there? I don't mean just one or two people, or three or four something you can ignore or something you maybe ponder for a moment or two. Um, What does the whole world that knows we exist, what do they call us? You know what they call us. They call us the frozen chosen. In part, that's because we do believe that when people come to Christ, they are actually chosen secretly so, but nevertheless truly chosen by God. But there's something else that that expression frozen chosen means. It means that we can become the most inflexible people on the earth. That, in fact, we can become very dry and dull in that inflexibility and sort of set a course, set a pace, and never be willing to reconsider. You sort of freeze up, because, after all, we're the chosen. And you get frozen very quickly that way. We're reading a passage this morning... That's about a man whom God chose. His name was Abraham. And he chose Abram as much as he chose anyone else in this room or chose this church or chooses Christians today, called him to himself, made him his special person in the world. But Abram didn't freeze up. In fact, when God first called him, as in this passage, God challenged him not to freeze up. Not to become a frozen chosen person, but rather to be a living, breathing chosen person. How did he do that? How did God challenge Abram this way? Well, one of the first things that happens in this passage is that God speaks to Abram and he says, Abram, you're going to have to make a decision about your life. And the decision is this, whom are you going to trust? Do you remember how he did that to Abram? Remember verse 1. The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, if, if you're familiar with the way Abraham is often depicted in Sunday school literature for children or in the movies and things like that, you easily get the impression that Abram was little more than a wandering Bedouin. Now, I've been around Bedouins, so I know what they're like, and you've at least seen pictures of them. If you haven't visited Bedouins... Basically, they're wanderers, so they'll have a tent, they'll have some goats, maybe a camel or two, some sheep. Nowadays, they also have a pickup truck hidden behind the tent with a satellite dish on it so they can watch TV, but that's a modern invention. But nevertheless, Bedouins are by definition people that wander around, and if that's what you think Abram was like, if that's what you think his life was like, then it wasn't any big deal that God called him to leave and go somewhere else. But it's not the way Abram was. When we read about Abraham's life, when we read even about his father and where he lived, we'd find out that he was actually very wealthy, very settled, and quite connected where he was. When the Bible here speaks of Abram leaving his household and his family and his father's house, you have to understand, Abram lived in a family... And the father of Abram, Terah, was actually an idol maker, which meant that he traded in silver and gold and precious stones. He was a wealthy man. And when it speaks of his extended family here, well, just like it is in the Middle East today, you do business with your extended family. You don't do it with strangers. Abram lived in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in modern Iraq today. The ruins are there. And among that in that area of Iraq today are ruins of several, five or six different cities that were magnificent cities around 2000 B.C. when Abraham lived. In fact, they were so great that a lot of the homes had running water in them. And not just the wealthy homes, even middle class and poorer homes had running water in them in 2000 B.C. Imagine that. So when God calls Abram to leave, he's telling him to leave every security... Every natural and normal way of thinking behind. Everything that was going to make Abram's life worth living, everything that was going to make his life have purpose, have dignity, and value, it was all to go away. And more than this, did you see what God said to him? He said, I want you to go somewhere, and when you get there, I'll show you. I'll show you where. I'm going to take you. Well, ask yourself this question. If, if I were to drive up here as you're leaving today in my car and open the passenger door and say, come on, let's go for a trip, what's the first question you're going to ask me? Where are you going? And if I say to you, don't worry about that, just get in the car, you'll know, I'll let you know when we get there, you would be a fool to get in the car with me. I mean, as far as you know, I may be one of these crazy preachers that murders people on the side or something you don't want to get in the car with me but I want to tell you something right now today if I were to drive to Jackson Mississippi and pull into the driveway of a particular house there would be three children 10 4 and 2 who would rush to get in the car with me if I opened the door and said let's go for a trip they wouldn't even ask where are we going in fact they wouldn't even tell their parents because they'd be afraid their parents would say they couldn't go and they want to go They'd be fighting for the front seat. You know who they are? My grandchildren. Now, what's the difference between you and my grandchildren? They know me. They trust me. They understand that wherever I take them, it's going to be okay because Pops is taking them there. You don't know me. You don't trust me. And you would not dare get in the car. That's what God is saying to Abram. He's saying, Abram, do you trust me enough to leave all that behind and go where I will show you? It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? How easy it is for us to turn from the one who can be trusted more than anyone else and trust in other sorts of things. Don't we do that all the time? I mean, if you and I had been like Abram in his situation— We would have said, wait a minute, you're asking me to jeopardize my livelihood? You're asking me to leave relationships behind, people that I trust? You're asking me to take a dangerous journey and actually to bring up insecurities even about my physical condition? And we wouldn't do it. But the main reason we wouldn't is because we trust those things more than the one who really can be trusted. Now, if you're here today and you have not given your life to Christ, I want to tell you this just as plainly as I can. There are all kinds of things out there in this world that are vying for your trust. People will tell you, just take care of your body. Well, don't blink twice or you're going to be as old as me and your body's going to be falling apart. People will tell you, trust in your career in your wit to make money. How's that going for you these days? How many 401ks in here have gone down to 201ks? Quite a few of them. People will tell you, oh, just get the right relationships, marry the right person, have children. Then you'll be okay. Life will be good then. But if there's one thing that's true about every relationship that you'll ever have in this world, is this. It will disappoint you it will disappoint you. And it's not just true for those that don't follow Christ, but even true for followers of Christ, that the only one who can be trusted this much to leave all those natural securities behind is the Lord Jesus himself. Because he's gone before us. He has proven he's trustworthy. He's proven by his own life And by the things he has done in this world, even after he left this world, that he can be trusted with it all. So maybe God is actually calling someone here today at the end of a missions conference to say, I think that God wants me to leave my place of living, my job, and go into the mission field. That could very well be true today. And if he is calling you to do that, trust him. It will be okay. But for every single one of us in here, we have got to have this in our hearts and in our minds. I am willing. I am willing to let go of the relationships. I am willing to let go of the money. I'm willing to let go of the security of my job. I'm willing to let go of all the things I do to secure myself physically. I'm willing to do this, Lord, because I trust you more than anything else. I mean, how can a church actually ask people in this time of economic hardship to make a pledge to give more money than you've already given? How can they possibly do that? Only, only if they believe that you are a people who trust Jesus more than you trust anything else. You want to be a chosen person It's not frozen? It starts there with trusting him. But God also said some things to Abram that sort of raised certain expectations. And we find those things in verse 2. Listen to what expectations God gave Abram. Abram, if you'll follow, if you'll go where I'm going to show you, then this is what will happen. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Sounds pretty good to me. What a great deal. Oh, I leave Ur the Chaldeans behind, and you're going to make a great empire out of me. Oh, now that sounds pretty good. You're going to make me have many blessings, which basically means he's going to be rich. And you're going to make my name great. Well, he already has something of a reputation, I'm sure, in Ur of the Chaldeans because of his father's job. But now God's saying, no, that's nothing by comparison what I'm going to do for you. Now, if that had happened 15 minutes after he had arrived in the land of Canaan, it would have been no problem for Abram. But it's not what happened to Abram. God gave him these grand, magnificent expectations. But remember Abram's life? He was promised to be a great empire. And how many children did he have that were his heirs when he died? One. He said, I'm going to make you rich. Well, how much property did Abram own in the land of Canaan when he died? One little cave where he was going to be buried with his wife. That's it. He was told he would have a great name. Well, people around there knew about him, but most of the world didn't know about him in those days. You see, what happens here is that God is actually setting great expectations for Abram and saying, if you'll go on this journey, if you will trust me, these are the things that you will get one day. But think about Abram's life. His life was a struggle from beginning to end. He struggled with having a child, He struggled with dealing with people that would attack him. He was so generous throughout his whole life. Remember giving Lot, his nephew, the good land, dealing with and rescuing Lot from enemies that had come into the land. He also was kind to the Philistine, Abimelech, saying you can use these wells and I will use these wells and our children will use them together. He shared this land that actually belonged to him by God's decree. He sacrificed greatly throughout his entire life Why? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us it's because he had his eyes set on a celestial city, a celestial land that would drop out of the sky one day into what we call the new heavens and the new earth. And that was his hope. That was his dream. And he knew this, that anything he gave up in his short lifetime for the sake of reaching that goal was nothing by comparison. Absolutely nothing by comparison. But what do we do? What do we do? We have expectations that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, God has given me certain things, certain blessings, and I'm going to hold on to them just as much as I possibly can. I'm going to use them for me and my self-aggrandizement just as much as I possibly can. And it's so contrary to what the Bible tells us from cover to cover because not only Abraham, but think about Jesus himself. How did Jesus receive the glory of being the king and the ruler over heaven and earth? How did he receive that? It was by denying himself of things now, so that he could receive that glory in the future. His short lifetime, he was wise enough to know what every person my age and older knows already in this room, and that is life goes by so quickly, it spins your head. You blink three times, and you're a grandparent. You blink a fourth time, and you're gone. Jesus understood that. So, what he gave up in this life was nothing by comparison to what he would receive by his service to God. So, how much land did Jesus own? Zero. How much money did he have in his bank account? Zero. What kinds of relationships did he have? Horrible ones, disappointing ones. His whole life. And he received the glory that was greater than any human being has ever received of kingship over all things as his just reward for that service to God. What an amazing man Jesus was. And then his apostles tell us, if you want to fellowship in his glory, you want to share his glory? Then share his sufferings. Philanthropy, charitable giving, it's all around us. Do you realize that? I mean, in recent decades, or just this past decade, we've seen some very, very wealthy people be extraordinarily generous. And they're not even believers. I mean, the largest foundations in the world are run by people that hate God, deny God, couldn't care anything at all about God. But do you know what philanthropy is out there in the world, what charitable giving is out there in the world? It's something that people do out of abundance. That once they have as much as they could possibly imagine ever having, in order to, give, in order to avoid giving a lot of that to Uncle Sam, they'll give, they'll set up a foundation. Give lots of money away. I'm glad they do because a lot of good is being done with the millions and millions and millions of dollars that are given by such people. They give out of abundance, but we are not like them. We give out of conviction that the giving is worthwhile, that it is for a purpose.